I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this episode, in the red corner, hailing from back in 1995, it's Congo! From the best-selling novel by the author of Jurassic Park. The myth of the killer ape is true. Congo, where you are the endangered species. And in the blue corner, the young challenger from 2018. Get ready to rampage. Hell of a day, huh? Science experiments falling from the sky. You have to evacuate Chicago. George didn't ask for this. They're going to put him down. So what is the connection and which film does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. So yes, welcome to Clash of the Titles. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. So Congo versus Rampage are the movies this week. Connection, um, I'm just going to come out with it this week and just say it's talking apes, Chris. Vicky? It's talking apes. (laughs) (laughs) It's talking apes. Okay, so it is talking apes. Chris, tell me why Vicky and I spent yesterday in the midst of gorillas. It's a gorillas in the mist joke. And why? Why you picked these particular films to fight it out? I'm a deeply hairy man. (laughs) You are. You are. You have an abundance too much, and therefore I feel a deep kinship with uh, primates. So it seemed like a logical subject to explore. And then how do I narrow it down? Well, I thought, what about talking monkeys? And it came to me uh, that last summer I was at a screening of. Rampage. And I was super excited about this because I loved the video game as a kid. And the screening I saw was at the IMAX and I ended up in the front row. 
<laughs> this is not a movie to see in the front row at the IMAX. I don't think that even counts as seeing it. You must have seen a gorilla's paw for two hours. <laughs> it was it was so utterly overwhelming. It was like this white noise coming at me that I eventually started daydreaming. And I started realising that there were real serious similarities between the gorilla in Rampage and the gorilla in Congo. So it gave me an excuse to revisit this film that I haven't seen since 1995 and which I remember having very mixed emotions about. So, yeah, Alex, take it away. So we do it chronologically, which means I will begin. This week, I was given Congo from 1995, in which a ragtag band of mercenaries, scientists and treasure hunters set off into the tropical jungle of the Congo in search of a lost city full of diamonds. Along with them is a primate with a very strange voice. But enough about Tim Curry. There's also a talking gorilla called Amy. <laughs> some will come to it for science, some for fortune. A diamond mine of incredible bounty. The more they discover, the greater the danger. Help me! Help me! I never saw an animal move like that. We're getting out of here. What about them? Put them on the endangered species list. Congo. Now, obviously, Congo, 1995. Yes, on the surface, this is an attempt to cash in on the success of Jurassic Park two years earlier. However, Congo's story actually starts back in the 1970s when Michael Crichton was riding high of the success of the Andromeda Strain, which had been adapted from one of his novels. He'd also directed and written Westworld, which was a huge success. And then he did The Great Train Robbery, with Sean Connery. They loved working together so much, he wanted to make another movie with Sean Connery and so came up with this idea for Congo and he wanted to cast Sean Connery. So that is the genesis of Congo. He was attached to write and direct and then he insisted on something <laughs> <laughs> that really scuppered any chance of this movie being made at that time, even now. I can't believe he went... I insist that Amy, the talking and sign language using gorilla, be played by a real gorilla. <laughs> Funnily enough, gorillas are an endangered species <laughs> and not available to hire for movies. There's a poster in the film that says there are 650 mountain gorillas left in the world. So what are the chances that one of them would be the finest actress of her generation? <laughs> very, very slim. Also, did you know, there's a Ranker article about this because it's so common... Like chimps, not not so much gorillas actually, but chimps that turn on their owners. So they're like Las Vegas rescue chimps and then eventually they've just had enough and they rip people's faces off. Actually. See, I would have watched that movie though. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's horrendous. And then the police have to shoot them because what other choice do they have? Because obviously there's no monkey prison. So it's shoot to kill situation. So I don't think you want to mess around with a real gorilla. Keep, keep it light, Vicky. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just a bit of fun, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, so... Crichton finds out he can't have a real gorilla in this movie. He says, pull the plug. Fox, 20th Century Fox, go, no, 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 no. Uh, and give the script to Steven Spielberg. And he says to Michael Crichton, look, Michael, about this gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> I made Jaws 
So I've had some success with mechanical animals. Limited success, I would say. Well, on that experience of making that, I don't think Steven Spielberg should ever be walking around going, I know how to make a mechanical <laughs> shark, because when I say that, what I mean is the gorilla's going to be represented by some barrels uh, for two hours. <laughs> so the project sits in the vaults uh, of 20th Century Fox until 1992, uh, when the buzz about Jurassic Park is already building before its release the following year before it goes on to become, at the time, the highest-grossing movie in the history of cinema around. $900 million. Kathleen Kennedy was the producer of Jurassic Park. Her and her partner, Frank Marshall, basically realise what a hit Jurassic Park is going to be and start looking for other Crichton property to adapt. They find out Congo is in the vaults of 20th Century Fox and so they buy the rights, take it to Paramount and then they get a friend of theirs, the Oscar-winning screenwriter of Moonstruck, J.P. Shanley, to read the book of Congo with an eye to writing the script. So he reads it, he calls them back, and he goes, yeah, I read the book, I like the title. <laughs> and they're like, I've got some notes. <laughs> cool, 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 you like the title. Uh, do you want to elaborate? And he's like, um, I like the fact it starts in San Francisco, and then they go to the Congo. <laughs> and Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy go, that's good enough for us. Yeah, you're in. Let's do this. So... That's how we ended up with Congo. Um, well, well, it ended up with also, uh, we should say, Frank Marshall directing. That's right. Um, who is Kathleen Kennedy's husband, mm -hmm. produced a lot of Steven Spielberg's movies, mm -hmm. and himself he directed Alive and Arachnophobia up to this point. Two, two pretty good films. Um, but he's stood on basically Steven Spielberg's shoulders for 15, 20 years, watching him make movies. But watching Congo, it suggests he didn't really take anything in. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This film was well, I don't, not... I no, I don't know what you mean. It because... was almost like the anti-Jurassic Park. What, because a monkey drinks a martini? Is that, is that what you mean? <laughs> Whoa, let's not get there already. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the start. The start, they've got Bruce Campbell at the start. So mm. already yeah. this is playing into what I consider this movie because I view it through the prism of it being... A B movie, B and movie, I think 100%. the people in it, we'll get onto them, but the Tim Currys and the Ernie Hudsons of this world who get what they're in, who read the whole script and went, okay, it's that <laughs> movie, I'm going to go over the top, I'm going to have fun with this, and they get it, and if you're watching it with that sentiment, this is a really fun movie, and who better to open the movie than Bruce Campbell being all like, uh, I've got an eyeball in my hand. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is the biggest mistake the film makes, is um, killing Bruce Campbell off in the first seven minutes. Well, you don't know he's dead, though. Apparently, <laughs> but he was. Yeah. And apparently apparently he um, auditioned for the Dylan Walsh God, role I wish he'd got it. Jesus. Well, this oh, is my God, this really? Is, this is my point. He didn't get that, and so they gave him this little cameo. And it's if he played that role, this would have been a very different much better film better. because dylan walsh i had to look it up again if you'd had bruce campbell playing opposite amy mm. uh the gorilla i think we would have had a better movie yeah do you know yeah. who else was actually offered the dylan walsh role in this hugh grant hugh grant was, he? Hugh grant was <laughs> offered the dylan walsh role and turned it down but we do have an incredible cast in this movie of character actors yeah Paramount did not market this on the cast because you don't have that big name. But in there, you've got Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, Joe Pantoliano, and now three-time Oscar nominee Laura Linney mm. in there. And she really starts the whole thing off. So it starts with her finding out that they found this diamond in the Congo. Bruce Campbell is like, I've got it. It's here. Come get it. 
And then the camera goes dead and we see something that we don't know what it is yet. And we've got Bruce Campbell's dad, who's the boss of this telecommunications company. He's like, I want that goddamn diamond. And Laura Lee's like, ah, your son might be dead. Do you love your son? And he goes, I do. Well, (laughs) but she takes it really seriously. And I think that's important because she can't be playing it for laughs because not everybody can be playing it for laughs. So he's like, oh, you know him. She's like, yeah, and he married him. It's like, oh, yes, you really know him. So that's fine. <laughs> so you can go and get him. But she's very, she's like, I'm going to go and get my partner, ex-partner. And I think you need that through line of like someone's someone's got something to lose or has some stakes in it. Although when she finds his body at the end, she's a bit like, oh, it's a shame. And then that's it. <laughs> Just while we're on the subject of death, there's a tribe they meet. This is much further on in the movie. And uh, they're like, oh, we found um, uh, uh, a white man who's dead in the jungle. And Laura Linney's like, no, mm-hmm. it, what? Dead? Did they say dead? Mm-hmm. And Ernie Hudson goes, well, this tribe have very different definitions of dead. There's dead, mm-hmm. dead, and really dead. Yeah, they've got levels of dead. That's what he right. Says. Levels of dead. They've got levels of dead. But that's dead. great. That's cool. That's really interesting Like uh, in terms of what their culture uh, cultural expectations of death and life might be. And then the way he explains that properly to her is like, well, someone's not dead until they're completely dead. And it's like, oh, well, no, it makes perfect sense. Thank you so much. It's like, this is, this is, I mean, I appreciate this is how your culture works. It's a terrible system. It, <laughs> it really is a bad system. It leaves a lot of room for doubt. So anyway, what we need to get into is we've had this build-up at the start. This Laura Linney's character needs cover to go out into the jungle. And that cover turns out to be a scientist, a primatologist played by Dylan Walsh, who wants to return his ape that he's taught to talk using virtual reality and sign language back to the wild. And then we meet Amy. Just a quick question. Mm. There's a little bit of confusion to me over Dylan Walsh's ability to procure grants, like his grant portfolio for this uh, for Amy. So the he makes a speech saying it's impossible to get grants for this sort of work because it's a circus sideshow. Then his boss is like, you can get anything you want for this monkey gorilla, um, but you can't get money to set her free. So I was like, well, that's rightly so. She's been raised in captivity. She speaks. Mm. And now she's going to go back to gorillas and be like, hey, I haven't been here for ages. Like, I love what you've done with the place. And they'll just be like, no, we don't get this. And kill her. Because there is that scene where he tries to introduce her the first time. She meets the wild gorillas. And she goes, Amy, good gorilla. Amy, hello. Hello, other gorillas. (laughs) Amy, good gorilla. And they sort of look at her like, the fuck? What the fuck is this? <laughs> what are you? Yeah, just just for the listeners, Alex is doing the sign language hands <laughs> while he's saying this, which is slightly unnerving. I'm only doing it because she seems to use the same sign yeah, for does. every different thing. <laughs> There's no variation. But we meet Amy and and here's where, you know, Congo falls down because Amy is rubbish. Like she looks rubbish. I don't think she does. I, th- I was expecting to feel like that. When I, because I thought I'd seen this film, uh, but, but then I think maybe I read the books. I thought it was terrifying. It's not terrifying. And then when I was doing some research, I saw the still of her drinking the martini on the plane. I was like, I have not seen this film because <laughs> I would not forget that. Um, and I was expecting to be like this. This gorilla is not. I'm not convinced. But I just she. I thought she was really sweet and really charming and the best thing in it. And I wanted to spend more time with her. And even the voice, you're doing it, and it's making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but when she does it, it's sweet. There is a bit, and I don't know, I was feeling a bit mushy yesterday, but when she holds the baby oh, stuffed monkey and goes, gorgeous. Amy mother, Amy mother, oh, Amy lovely. mother, I'm like, 
<laughs> poor stupid yeah. gorilla. <laughs> it's a stuffed toy, you idiot. <laughs> and yet you want to mother something. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. However, at the moment you see her, you realise just how far the apple has fallen from yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Remember that that is why this got made, because Jurassic Park was a hit, and you go, mm. right. And, the, and their budgets weren't that far apart. 63 million for Jurassic Park, yeah. 50 million for this. A 13 million yeah. difference. Yeah. But also, they didn't spend any money on creating the jungle. Like, the, the first shot of the jungle is like, to me, it looks like fucking home base. Like, there's just <laughs> like a few sweaty plants. And then you'll see shots where, like, they've got, oh, oh, quick, put a scorpion on a rock to make it look like a jungle. <laughs> quick, put a leech on a rock. I don't think they live on rocks. Put a leech on a rock. Like like a sort of kid's Easter egg. Hunt. Like, did, hide sorry, did it, you, but not hide Did you say put a leech on a rock or a leech on a cock? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That man. There's a scene. <laughs> if you want to know more about that, not that, um, I watched a half-hour documentary called Journey into the Unknown, narrated by Martin Sheen. Please I'll email no. it to you. Please do. Yeah, the leech on the... Uh, like... And also the fact that Dylan Walsh tries to leverage that moment into a sort of meet cute as well made me feel physically sick. He's like, oh, I've got a leech on my penis. Like, and then winks at Laura and then like, you want to take this off? No, absolutely not. Does he? I don't want to cast aspersions on he Dylan does. Walsh here. He does. I, I'm pretty sure he's more concerned about how to get it off. And then he Ernie Hudson gives him his cigar. He burns it off. And then like a weirdo hands him the cigar back yeah. and goes, hey, do you want to puff on that? I thought he was going to do it. And I thought it would be amazing. But obviously he throws it. Away, but. So it's worth mentioning at this point um, a little bit about the history of Amy because Stan Winston, the legend who is Stan Winston, who was Stan Winston rather, um, he basically had done numerous costumes, but he had never done gorilla makeup. And Rick Baker was quite famous for his gorilla makeup. And there's a competitiveness there. And so Stan Winston went, all right, I'm going to do the gorillas for this movie. And Amy was built out of a ridiculous, like so many things in Hollywood, built out of a ridiculous studio decision because she's a mountain gorilla. And mm -hmm. so they've got this mountain gorilla, they've got a mountain gorilla head, and the studio went, mm, her face isn't cute enough. We've got some pictures of an entirely different species of gorilla <laughs> that have much cuter faces. And so they're like, okay, so we put that head on this body. And they're like, Yes, you do. <laughs> and so she's got a lowland gorilla head on a mountain gorilla body. That's which... the first thing I thought. <laughs> I thought that's lowland or mountain. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. I, I cannot suspend my out. disbelief any further. <laughs> but the fact they gave her a little girl's voice was uncomfortable to me. Why? What? Well, when we get into the full-on comparing of the of, of the gorillas, I can go there. But the relationship between Dylan Walsh and Amy, I found deeply uncomfortable it's... for the duration of this film. Why? Oh, hang on a sec. Um, I guess you raise a valid point in so much as there is a weird sort of... Everyone keeps making jokes about how they're in a relationship. They're a married oh, couple. Oh, okay. Yeah. There okay. are several jokes about them being a married couple. Then there are several jokes about her being his mother as yeah. well. I've got Oedipus down here. Mm. Um, she, where she, he should be <laughs> <laughs> she gets jealous as soon as Laura Linney shows up and calls her ugly woman ugly woman they kind of set up almost like a love triangle there I think I feel Ooh. like we're dodging we're talking about this moment on the plane where Amy goes 
Amy want raindrop drink. Amy want raindrop <laughs> Good drink. Good for you, girlfriend. You get yours. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that if you've raised a gorilla and you're a scientist, a primatologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that he's like, that's cool. She always yeah. has one to knock her out. That's the thing. It wasn't so much that, oh, can she have a drink? It's like, she always has a fucking drink. Like, why, why can't <laughs> yeah, she have so, a drink? She does spend a lot of time on sedatives, to be fair to her, throughout this film. She does. She gets doped up about three times. <laughs> then she's smoking and she's drinking. Well, there's an, another example of how... Oh, he's a terrible, terrible person to be looking after an ape because when Ernie Hudson gives her a cigar, he yeah. doesn't immediately. It's man who has been looking after this gorilla doesn't immediately go, oh, whoa, me. take that out of her mouth. <laughs> She's a gorilla. He actually gives her advice on how to smoke a cigar. He goes, Amy, don't inhale. Yeah. It's a cigar. That gorilla cannot get back to the wild quick enough. <laughs> We've got a couple of great characters we should talk about. Oh, 100%. I was waiting for this one. Um, you've said Ernie Hudson and Tim Curry, so mm. let's go there. <laughs> um, who was your Where favorite? shall we go? To the city of Minge? <laughs> Sorry. Wow. I wanted to say it first. If I say it first, it's fine. If you two say that, it's problematic. Wasn't who, even on my radar. Who can say, <laughs> who can say uh, the name of Tim Curry's character? I've, I've, I've tried really hard. I can say his last name. It is. Wait, I just put it down. It is. Herkimer, Homolka. Which he has to say every time he talks. He says both his first and last name. He, I think halfway through he went, after about 20 takes trying to get Herkimer right, he just goes, call me Mr. Homolka. Yeah, Who is, as he tells us, he's from Romania and he's now free of the chains of Ceausescu. He is. Thanks for that bit of information. Travelling the world, doing good. <laughs> he is... I love Tim Curry. I've yeah. loved him. I actually never saw him in the Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was young enough to appreciate that. But as Pennywise the Clown, genuinely one of the most terrifying creations mm. I ever witnessed as a child. It broke me in this. He is glorious. He kind of does with the character of Hakuma Hamolka. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or Mr. Hamolka. He kind of does what John Voight did in Anaconda much later, which is they both understand the same thing. If you are going up against a talking gorilla, or in John Voight's case, a cartoon snake. You go big Mm. or you go home. Mm. And he goes big with this character. Have you seen The Three Musketeers? Which one? The one with him in it. (laughs) (laughs) Why why I said just (laughs) Yes, I have. I have. Like, like, are you sorry? You bought, <laughs> sorry. bored with this week's podcast material? Let's uh, let's do the Three Musketeers. <laughs> the one with Tim Curry. In it. Yeah, he plays Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah, he does it exactly the same way. It's brilliant. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's really great in this, and he gets such brilliant lines. Um, that moment where they discover the city of Zinge, and he goes. It's the city of Zinge. <laughs> I've searched for it my whole life. And I'm like, oh. But it's very difficult to know partly whether he's sympathetic or partly whether he's a bit of a dick in this movie. And that's a little bit confusing from time to time. Well, the cause... film can't make up its mind, yeah, can it? And even at the end when he's kind of the villain of the piece, um, he doesn't really feel like the villain, you know? He's just, he seems like a funny bloke picking up diamonds and putting them in his pocket. Picking up massive, diamonds don't just like lie he, around, do they? Like, like didn't pebbles. Really... Do you no, not have to drill not. a diamond out of a mine? Well, these are King Solomon's diamonds from King Solomon's mines. Oh, sure, so they're different. They just fall from the sky yeah, and I mean, lie around on the sand. They're sentient. They crawl out of the sand <laughs> and just lie there waiting to be found. <laughs> um, I do get your point, though. The film can't make up its mind on a lot of stuff. And I yes. do think the script 
is part of the reason. Yeah, I mean, the tone, it doesn't know. It's funny one minute, serious the next, scary the next. It's a bit all over the place. And I think some of the performances are as well. They could come from different films, actually. Because I think Tim Curry, Ernie Hudson and... um, God, who's the African Some general? Oh, oh, Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo. Yeah. They're from one film, yes. and I think some of the other actors are from another film. So and, we should talk about Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Because in Ghostbusters, oh, it breaks he, is my the, heart. he is the fourth funniest Ghostbuster. He is. But here, he's he's very nearly the MVP, isn't he? Uh, it's I honestly would call it a tie between him and Tim Curry for who mm-hmm. is the best thing in this movie. Yeah. The man who introduces himself, I'm your great white hunter, except I'm black, is... Brilliant, and that partly comes from credit to uh, J.P. Shanley, who wrote in the notes to the studio. He was like, "I will write your script, but there's no way I'm yeah. writing that character as a white hunter." As because... Sean Connery, yeah. Well, exactly. yeah, but then Ernie Hudson is he not just doing an impression of Sean Connery? Like, why is his voice like? I love Ernie. You know how much I, I love Ghostbusters. And I, I think he was really shortchanged in that. And that is a hard thing for me the to accent, even admit. I think he's doing that accent that American people think it's English people sound like. I think it reminded me of Peter Dinklage, Dinklage's accent in Game of Thrones. where it's, <laughs> that's. I think Americans go, oh, yeah, he's, do, he's English. And English go, that's not anything. Yeah, but that's why it's so great, because it's so obscure. It's like there's, it's no, absurd. there's no explanation for where he's yeah. from and he's given no backstory. Yeah. Perhaps he had one. And then Frank Marshall went... Yeah, cut the line about him being from the UK because... <laughs> no one will believe. That's not playing right now. That's not playing in the movie right now. So, yeah, I think he's great in this, though. I do think you're right. He was shortchanged in Ghostbusters, a part that was written uh, for Eddie Murphy that Eddie Murphy couldn't do, and then they mm. brought him in at the last minute yeah. and cut loads of his lines out. So, yeah, he's pretty vacant in Ghostbusters. Here, you go, man, you should have given him more to do in Ghostbusters because he can deliver the funny. And he, I, I, I read an interview with him where he said this is his favourite performance of his career. Is that right? Really? Yeah, yeah. This is the, the the part he enjoyed most. And it was like, yeah, man, I wish this guy got his own movie. You know, he deserved a spin-off, I think, that well, just focused on him. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time. He's alive at the He's end. He's alive, yeah. I would have probably researched um, about Ernie Hudson and this being his favourite role. But I became very preoccupied with his photo on Amazon, which is incredible. You know when you pause Amazon and it goes, these are the actors in this yeah, scene. Yeah. This is Ernie Hudson's. Oh, wow. He's got some muscles there. Look at that. I think you need Ooh, to just... hello, Ernie Hudson. <laughs> that is not what you look like at all. Um, yeah, he, like we were saying, Tim Curry and him, they deliver the surreal, they deliver the funny. There are some other moments, though. I mean, I think it's a fantastic scene. Let's talk about the play and the drinking the martini scene. <laughs> Amy, want green drop drink? No. Amy... Want green drop drink. All right, all right. Are you serving that ape a martini? There is a weird thing about creatures sitting on plane seats because while this is a weird scene with Amy, it is not the weirdest. That scene comes from Jurassic Park 3 where Sam Neill falls asleep on a plane. Oh, yeah. And he's having a dream. (laughs) And in the dream, he's sort of like, he wakes up and like sitting next to him with its tiny front arms on the armrests of the seat. Yeah, it's a raptor. It's a velociraptor. (laughs) And if that's not enough, it turns to him and goes, Alan? (laughs) (laughs) That is the worst animal on a plane (laughs) scene. I forgot all about that. Do we need to do animals on planes scenes as a future podcast? Oh, I love 
that so much. Oh, that's the best, though. There, We've there, already covered there it. There are lots of weird scenes in this film, though. I mean, the, <laughs> I, I thought by far the worst scene was when um, they all start singing California Dreaming. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, Where did weird. that come from? No, They're just loading up some boats and says, calm down, Amy. Everyone there, everyone in the Congo knows the words to <laughs> this Mamas and the Papas song. And then there are, there are scenes where you think, is... Is this a spoof now? And I, I'm talking in particular about a moment which I'm going to play a clip from where you've got um, Delroy Lindo playing an, an African uh, general talking to... Captain Wanta. Captain Wanta talking to uh, Mr. Homolka. Oh, this and, is... And let's listen to how this one goes this down. This is so good. If it's the bit I'm thinking of... Which... <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it yeah, would yeah. have to be. It's the greatest line in the movie. Mr. Homolka... Well, stop eating my sesame cake. Stop eating my sesame cake! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not one time, but two. <laughs> stop eating my sesame cake, made even better by Tim Curry, slowly gobbing it out into his hand and yeah. putting it down. And also because he goes, Why are you traveling with this bag of shit? <laughs> But yeah, I, to go back to what you're saying, Chris, I do think some people are so in on this joke and this movie, Delroy Lindo especially, that whole mm. scene where he goes, have some tea and cake. Have some! <laughs> <laughs> you're quite frightening when you do that, Alex. No, not at all. Um, but there's also, it's just, there's so many little bits that once you start buying into the idea that this has been a little bit slapdash in places, there's a scene where they're driving to camp for the first time and they drive past some zebra because obviously there's got to be zebra there to it's show this. It's the plural of zebra, zebra. Zebra, yeah. Is it? It's like fish. Is it really? It is. Are you winding me up? No. It's not zebras? No, of course not. Oh, I don't know about this. I'm telling you it's zebra. Look it up. Chris? No, don't look it up. It's fine. We'll, fine. Like, we'll just take a vote, Chris. <laughs> whatever, the, yeah. whatever the man said. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Ugh, fine. <laughs> um, but I feel like it's a film as well where you've got an hour and 15 minutes of them travelling, basically. Well, I liked that about walking. it. It seems like the road movie. But then the destination's got to be worth getting to. And it's such an underwhelming what, finale, the ci- the city I felt of Zinj like. was underwhelming? Yeah. The city of Zin. This, and this annoyed me because Tim Curry, they're on that boat before the hippos. And he's saying that gorilla has seen the city of Zinj. I know she's seen it. But you could just ask her because she can talk and you share a common language. Why can he? Why is there not a scene with him where he's like, "Oi, Amy, yeah. where is the city of Zin?" But, but that's because Tim Curry's character is lacking subtlety in the writing. Because I know the scene you're mentioning. He goes, "Those pictures she was drawing. Do you think they were the secret city that I'm absolutely not looking for, <laughs> or something like that?" And Dylan Walsh goes, "She just, she just likes the shape." Yeah. And Tim Curry almost looks at the camera and goes, perhaps. <laughs> I'm going to take it back to Jurassic Park again, but that builds to such a crescendo. And this, it's just underwhelming. It's got this weirdly speeded up grey gorillas attacking people, which I thought was a very strange decision by the director where you couldn't really see them attacking. They just kind of shook the camera. Isn't that making more terrifying? But when they're in the, the mine itself, you can see them clearly there. I'd argue that you can see them too clearly there because you go... Oh. Yeah, I will say the hippo attack is actually probably scarier than <gasps> the killer Terrifying, age. absolutely terrifying. I, I thought that was a brilliant bit. I'm terrified of hippos. Mm, rightly so. Hippos kill. Or hippo, as I believe they're known in the plural. 
Um, they are the world's deadliest large land mammal yep. and they kill around 500 people a year. They kill more people in Africa than lions. Yeah, they're, and they're really fast as well. So you can't outrun one and they can almost climb trees. And they can't be reasoned with. <laughs> they're really angry and beyond reason. You can't discuss. They're a fucking nightmare. The, the gorillas at the end as well. I mean, I felt some sympathy for them. The grey gorillas. Yeah. The film ends, in in the book, I believe it ends with Amy kind of reasoning with them. Talking to them? Yeah. Okay. Um, Not through sign language, but the, through the gorilla, gorilla language. language. Whereas in this film, it ends with Laura Linney killing them all with a laser. Yeah, that was brilliant. And I'm like, that's, well, she doesn't, just, she doesn't just kill them with a laser. She actually makes a joke out of the fact that this is a new species they've yeah. discovered. Sure, they're aggressive. And what's she doing? Put them on the endangered species Love list. It. Brilliant. Shoot their hands off with a laser. <laughs> yeah, Amy does kind of reason with them because when they're sure. all about to kill Dylan Walsh, she mm. steps in and goes, ugly gorillas, ugly, go away. No, and they go, yeah, all right. That's good. <laughs> agreed, yeah, agreed, agreed. And, and, and that's what happens in the book. But then in the book, they don't all get murdered. And I felt like it wasn't their fault that they were behaving this way. This is how they were bred, they were you know, bred, by, yeah. by man, ultimately. And so I thought there was quite a mixed message in the film, really. It's just the 90s. That's all. We just didn't take these things as seriously as we do who, now. Who was the villain? Uh, was it Tim Curry? Was it those grey gorillas or are we the villain? All good. Yeah. It does touch me slightly when Amy disappears off over the horizon at the end with the wild gorillas, although it's once again undermined by a strange script choice where Dylan Walsh, the primatologist, sees her leaving and turns to Laura Linney and Ernie Hudson and goes, <laughs> will she be all right? They have no experience <laughs> of gorillas oh, at no, all. Oh, no, that's him being, that's the, the classic, that's the parent it, thing. Like he, he he just wants some reassurance from anyone that he's made the right decision. It was the same ending as uh, Bigfoot and the Hendersons. There were two good scenes that we haven't mentioned. Uh, two that, One that I remembered from when I watched this as a kid, and I remember enjoying it uh, a lot more as a kid compared to when I watched it as an adult. But still, the bit where they kick open a plane door and shoot down heat-seeking oh, missiles yeah, with flares... <laughs> It's amazing. That, is really that good. bit where Ernie Hudson and Laura Linney are tracking at the same time. I'm like, cool shot. Yeah. Frank Marshall owning this moment. The other scene is, in fairness, a complete homage to aliens, where those sentry guns are taking out the gorillas, which are testing the perimeter. I'm like, that's ah, cool. It's not really yours, Frank Marshall, but it <laughs> is cool. It's naughty. <laughs> so, a um, couple more points. First of all, Paramount made the most money they've ever made from a film at that point. In the opening weekend, it was, because it dropped quite dramatically weekend two. So it made 152 million worldwide, this did. Yes. Off of the back of the 50 million it cost. A little less than the billion that Jurassic made. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, part of the reason it did so well was the marketing spend, a lot of which went to Taco Bell. Um, and I just want to read you a couple of the Taco Bell adverts. Because... Would you like to hear one, Alex? Oh, my God, which one? Please tell <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, please. Is it the one about the watchers or is it one about the volcano burrito? <laughs> well, you've spelt the punchline, but here we go. Now you can see all the excitement and adventure of the Congo in your local theatre. Or you can taste it at Taco Bell. Introducing the Volcano Burrito, piled high with seasoned beef, beans, rice, a blend of three cheeses, and flowing with fiery red sauce. If you're hungry for excitement, get the new Volcano Burrito at Taco Bell. But hurry, at just 99 cents, a taste eruption like this won't be active for long. 
<laughs> a taste really eruption like this won't be active for long. So many volcano jokes. Burritos and volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs> 16th biggest film of 1995 between While You Were Sleeping and Father of the Bride 2. Oh. Biggest movie that year? Toy Story. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. So we're done with Congo. Okay, so Vicky, your movie was Rampage. Yeah, so my research for this went, um, someone loved a video game, so someone made a film about it. What's happening to my friend? Are you familiar with genetic editing? Is he the only one? Oh, you didn't know about the 30-foot wolf? Ah! Incoming! 
river. I was just thinking the only thing that's missing right now is a giant crocodile. Good, we've covered that that's, movie. That's it, isn't it? That's it. That's, that's kind it. of it. Someone bought some property, some IP, and then thought, let's make a movie um, and let's put The Rock in it. And then that's it. Warner Brothers bought Midway Games mm. for $33 million, thus owning all their titles, which I hope they actually do something with some others uh, in there, especially Gauntlet. Yeah, uh, so was this the first one that they made from the acquisition? Yeah, and they, and they had a bunch of screenwriters come in and Oh, so many screenwriters. Mm. So many screenwriters. And then went with a storyline that's really not very similar to the game, apart from the odd visual. But I've never played the game. Nothing much happens in the game, does it? It's just... It hasn't got a lot of plot, but something right. something very specific is happening. Do you want a little bit of background on the game? Yes. Okay. Um, it was. It's obviously clearly inspired by King Kong rampages, and it concerns three gigantic creatures laying waste to a series of cities. The twist being that each of the monsters used to be human. So you've got George, who was turned into a giant ape by an experimental vitamin. <laughs> uh, Ralph, who was transformed into a huge werewolf by food additive. <laughs> And a radioactive lake, which has turned Lizzie into a giant lizard. Okay, fine. So you play one of the three characters and you've got to smash each city's smithereens. And when you're seriously injured, you turn back into your human form. You're naked on screen and you slowly edge off screen, covering up your privates with oh, your hands. That's nice. Now, that's a moment I wanted to see in this <laughs> film. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't. What I did read about was um, The Rock. And I read quite a lot about his um, influence on the script. Mm. Specifically, the ending. Yes. Which I'll ruin the ending, um, but nothing bad happens because, according to him, according to Rolling Stone, he doesn't want to be in a film with a sad ending. So his ex his exact quote was, "When the credits roll, I want people to feel great." People said that George sacrifices himself like a brave soldier. Okay, but this is a movie. There's a crocodile the size of a football stadium. Not actually true, but let's just leave that. We're not making Saving Private Ryan. There is a fascinating point to that, which is that he sees the brand that is Dwayne Johnson and The Rock yeah. and the reason people go to his movies as a brand where you walk out elated. And I do think if George had died at the end, let's not beat around the bush here, giant gorilla lives, <laughs> um, it would have made a very sad movie. And if he doesn't want to make those movies, I think his phrase um, or his quote that he used was, life delivers shit like sad endings. Yeah, I don't want to put that in my movie. And I respect that. I would not go... To a movie, I don't mind watching a sad movie. I, yeah. I'm not saying there should not be sad movies. But if I'm going to a movie like Rampage, I do not want Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box in the end. <laughs> I think it's because... Um, Which was one of the alternate endings, yeah. really. It's always one of the alternate endings. But he I... saw the potential, didn't he? Because it, So they didn't actually use it, humans turning into animals. No. It's, it's animals turning into bigger animals. So in the film, it's kind of ge a genetic experiment gone awry. Cool. And he... CRISPR, which and is No, CRISPR's, CRISPR's real. It's what? A, honestly, it's a real thing. Oh my God, that ruins my donut joke. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, I had that in my notes. CRISPR is real. Okay. It's but, a gene editing program. Right. I can... We, okay. But I feel like he'd seen the potential here. It's I'm a movie, sorry. <laughs> it's a movie about a genetic Screw experiment gone awry. You. <laughs> it's going to save your life. <laughs> I'm so angry. They're using it to make genetically modified if babies gave, in China, I swear to God. Right. If they gave me CRISPR as an option to live right now, I wouldn't take it. I'm Despite so angry. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Fine. Absolutely fine. And anyway, it said at the start that they outlawed it in 2016 because it was deemed a weapon of mass destruction. I think that's also true as well. Well, there you go. So <laughs> what I'm saying is Rampage is a bloody educational film. Uh, yeah. All right. Fine. Sorry, Chris, you were saying. I was not. I was not. It was boring. <laughs> um, 
Go on, take it away. All take it away, I was going to say was, I think The Rock is afraid to cry because he can't cry. He's yet. Ben Stiller in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> God, I love that film. <laughs> and maybe all his tears have just solidified into muscles. And so he's got no tears and that's it. That's why he doesn't want a sad ending. Although, as I was watching the film, I realised he can act. Like, he looks quite scared at some point. Yeah, he looks sad. When he, when he says, sorry, George, at one point, I was quite moved. I yeah. Are we? I think he's bloody great in no, this movie. No, oh no. I wanted to like him. No disrespect to him. Obviously, he's doing his thing and he's doing amazingly well at it. I think you're underestimating how clever The Rock is in this movie because when George escapes from the facility, right at the start, it's yeah. not before, before he's massive, massive, he runs out and he smashes a police car and The Rock's chasing him and he goes, George, 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 exactly in time to the music from George of the Jungle. <laughs> George, George, George of the jungle, watch out for the tree. <laughs> Let's talk oh, yeah. about okay. some of the lines. So a film with this many writers on, so about five writers by this point, the throwaways are awful. So when he surfs down a collapsing tower in a helicopter and doesn't die, he gets out and he just says, I need a drink. You've never seen him drink anything. It's not a character point. It's like, we can't do it now because we're going to run out of time. But if we had... Ten minutes, we could think of better lines than that for someone who's just surfed down a tower in a helicopter, in a broken helicopter. I need a drink's not good enough. Then when they see that giant crocodile thing rise out of the river, he just says, that sucks. That's not good enough. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character is the guy who does those lines and The Rock is a guy who wants to save his friend. He's got that on the brain. Jeffrey Dean Morgan gets to say things like, when science shits the bed, <laughs> yeah. I'm the one they call to change the yeah, seats. that is good. Jeffrey Dean Morgan goes, oh... You didn't know about the 30-foot wolf. <laughs> Lines like yeah. that. I will say, before we get into like this sort of big monster bit and talk about them, I am upset by one thing in this movie, which is that they sort of introduce a Joe Mangliano's character, who is Burke, which I'm sure is a homage to Aliens, mm. who is the leader of this kill team mm. who are meant to catch the wolf. <laughs> yeah. And he turns up and they have this big fight and then he dies and it really upsets me. Why is he killed so early on in I this movie? I like a film, though, where you kill off characters early on that are quite well-known faces because then it means all bets are off. We know Dwayne Johnson isn't dying, but everyone else... Mm, yeah, but... It, it puts a bit of jeopardy into proceedings. Yeah, but... I like the fact that just before he dies and a massive wolf is about to eat a helicopter, he shouts incoming like they wouldn't have seen a massive <laughs> wolf about to bite them in half. Yeah. And we, we talked about the ending and some quotes, but we haven't really said for people who haven't seen the film what happens in this one. This mysterious gas genetically transforms a gorilla, a crocodile and a wolf and they don't just get bigger. The wolf gets wings yeah. and porcupine spikes. Yeah, it's brilliant. The and wolf was my favourite. <laughs> so I was really sad when the wolf dies. Yeah, me too. Okay, good. That's yeah. the one bit of this movie that I just couldn't get with. I wanted the wolf to turn back into a normal wolf and scamper off into the <laughs> distance. That's what I wanted. Not so much about the crocodile, but Ralph the wolf. Well, also, it, it didn't like... make any sense because the, they were teamed up and then the rock sort of tricks the crocodile into biting the wolf's head off. Mm. But not before. If you're talking about The Rock not getting funny lines like, I need a drink and yeah. that sucks, he does get to say, of course the wolf flies. Yeah, that's Which true. is a good line. It is a good line, but it comes. it's too late. Like that, that, That's the thing I felt cheated by. Like, the wolf can fly, but we have only see, we see that in the last sort of 20 minutes. So. Yeah. And in the beginning when he kills what's old Joe, Burke, he's flying around. I thought I saw him flying, yeah. but I wasn't sure... It's not very clear at that point. He's no, more, it could just be a big leap. He's more of a silhouette in the woodland. So you, you felt sad like when I felt sad about the gorillas dying in 
Congo. Yes, because I found the wolf cuter. However, did you feel sad when the villains of Rampage got killed? No, I did think it was a little bit dark that Jeffrey Dean Morgan basically goes, why don't you go outside yeah. and die? Yeah. I'm not really saying that, but take a walk outside. Something yeah. bad's about to happen. <laughs> nasty. Unnecessarily nasty. But when she died, she was the bigger villain and yeah. he was more of a wimp. So I'm more sympathetic towards him. I thought she was a great villain. They reminded me actually of villains from like the old Disney movie from the 1970s. She's a bit Cruella de Vil. Yeah, yeah, they're almost like cartoon characters. She's always got to time to put on another body con dress. Like no matter yeah, what's yeah. going on, like your whole company's like going to explode. There's three monsters tearing up Chicago. Let's just get changed quickly. Well, like, well I- in the opening credits of the Rampage video game, he eats, uh, the, the the gorilla eats a woman in a red dress. Game. I did feel bad for George, because when he wakes up, The Rock would be like, hey, George, guess what? You ate someone. Because he doesn't eat anyone. He kills people accidentally, but he doesn't eat anyone. No, he does. If you look for it, it's a little bit of an Easter egg back to the game in the distance, because they don't want to put it in the foreground, because George is fundamentally a goodie. Yeah. But in the distance, he does do the classic thing from the video game. He punches a hole in a building, pulls someone out, and puts them straight in his oh, mouth. Because okay. I was looking for it. Okay. George kills 38 people. Oh, really? Uh, officially in this I went to uh, the Kill Count website and it said that 96 people die in this film of which George kills 38. That's nearly 50%. Also, I don't believe that's true because if you watch the carnage in those la- that last half hour, more people are dying than 96. Well, yeah, and not as many people are saved as The Rock makes out. So someone's like, George has saved a lot of people. Cut to two people walking off shot. And he's like, oh, yeah, we did save two people. Do you mean that very last scene where the credits are about to roll and George holds out his hand oh, from that the was building cute, and yeah. two people climb onto it? And you're like, how quick you forget. <laughs> it was moments ago yeah. he, was he was burning this city. Off, yeah. um, I do like, uh, I have a little bit of a thing Um like when Michael Bay does it, it's really cool. I have a little bit of a thing where I get excited about military hardware, especially when the A-10 Thunderbolt, the Warthog, is on screen mm-hmm. as a plane. And I do think that bit's really cool because it always reminds me of when it happens in Transformers, where I think it's uh, Tyrese Gibson gets to go, use 105 shells, bring the rain. <laughs> is, that, cool is your brain just a constant self-referential loop of other films <laughs> and it never breaks? Oh, it reminds me of this this thing that happened in my real life? Yeah. No. Oh, no, it does, because I also had the Cobra Rattler, which was that plane part of my G.I. Joe collection oh, okay. when I was a kid. Oh, I so that, no, it makes sense. There's real world yeah, relevance. Now you seem like a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to. <laughs> now, is it weird that I thought that the most far-fetched moment in this film wasn't anything to do with the creatures, but when Dwayne gets shot... In oh, the yeah. stomach, and it misses his vital organs. So from not, that point on, it doesn't affect him. He's not bothered at all. <laughs> he's just got like a rip in his t-shirt, and she's like, "I thought you were dead." And he's like, "No, no, I'm fine." Missed his vital organs, so bang, he's just back <laughs> yeah, in the game. Yeah, that's it. And no blood. Where he's out in the jungle, and he's saying these poachers were butchering yeah. George's mum. Mm, that's quite a powerful scene. It actually. is a very it powerful so scene. It so isn't. There's nothing to it. <laughs> it's oh very, my very god! Sad. What a shitty flashback. Oh, and I think, oh my god! And I think it's because technology has come on so far. Are you hearing this? <laughs> He's still not even looking at me. If that, if that had been a toddler in a monkey suit, I wouldn't have bought into it. But because technology has made me actually sort of, uh, I've, I could see the emotions on that on George's little face. Oh no, that would yeah, mm. and not and real creature. It, I found it very. I also, I'm not an animal hater. I think that would be a strange Good. thing to be, <laughs> but the. Is, Oh, how are you wearing mink in here? It's so hot. <laughs> There's never a point where someone says, um, it's just a gorilla. 
So even Agent Russell, badass, mean, doesn't give a shit, mm. says sincerely when he's in, sort of interrogated The Rock, um, I'm really sorry about your friend. He doesn't say I'm really sorry about your pet. I'm really sorry about your gorilla. No one questions or interrogates. This is your friend and he's on almost equal footing with humans. And I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm not getting into that, obviously, but no character ever is like, oh, we could just kill him because he's just a gorilla. No, I mean, no. it's just for balance. Do you like my monkey hand ashtray? <laughs> That's not too much, is it? It's that hat, a hollowed out dolphin's head. Everyone says they're rare, but I was like, fuck it. Um, I, I, just to go back to what Chris mm-hmm. was saying about the death. She says we're feeding a monster to a gorilla. Yeah, she does. That's yeah. a really good line. Good that line. is a good line. Good line. There's a lot of good lines in this movie. Also, Brad Payton, the guy who directed it, who'd previously worked with The Rock on San Andreas, he... Uh, said he wanted to make a proper monster movie. He grew up watching Jaws. And I think there's a really nice bit where Lizzie is trying to eat the rock. And it's a very, very obvious reference to Quint in Jaws, where the rock's using his feet on the teeth oh, of yeah, Lizzie. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. trying to push himself back up the slope. Yeah. And I was like, good reference. Um, there was one thing I was disappointed by in the movie. Go on. So in the Atari Lynx version of the game, they added a fourth creature. Um, a giant rat named Larry. <laughs> and the, the plot line there was he, uh, he worked in the cafe of a chemical lab and turned into a rodent after eating contaminated spinach, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> but obviously, Claire Wyden has a rat who is mentioned several times. He's fed, he's carried around for the climax of the film and even Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character takes him off the villain. Yeah. And yet we never get that moment that should have been in the film where you see him just start growing or something. I see. Yeah. Creatures are dead. And it felt like the whole film is setting up a post credit sting and we just don't get it. They were too busy doing that sex joke at the end with George's hand gestures. So yeah, they ran out of time. George is that. a perv. George is a bit of a bully and a bit of a perv. No, it's all right. It's locker room bounce. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, so yeah, that was just one thing I thought was really left me scratching my head. I was wait. It was a setup and no payoff. Maybe they got I, I, their projections on how it was going to do, and they decided mm, we ain't getting a sequel. Let's well, it did very well. It, it did, did very very well. Did do well. But there ain't no sequel, is there? Happening now, four hundred twenty-eight million globally. Mm. Yes. Um, I I looked up a couple of reviews. One official review, hard to get down on this $120 million B-movie when it delivers on exactly what it promised. Johnson is the bacon of Hollywood. You can add him to pretty much anything and it becomes palatable. He built his reputation as the franchise saver in Hollywood after they added him to Fast and the Furious 5. Wasn't he franchised Viagra? I think they might have used yeah, that yeah. as well. But he basically, he that became the most profitable Fast and the Furious movie at the time, doing over half a billion. Then they added him to, he replaced Brendan Fraser in the Journey to the Centre of the Earth scene. Equal, added a hundred million to that box office. Then he was in GI Joe Retaliation, added loads to that box office, and that's how he became what he is now, one of the most bankable movie stars, not just now but in history. So decision time. So I've asked you guys. Yeah, um, I'm hoping I'm going to have a deciding vote here. But yeah, what was what was the best talking gorilla movie? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. I really, I thought about this long and hard. When I watched them back to back, I was like, I'm going to go with Congo. Obviously going to go with Congo. I just hands down enjoyed Rampage more. And I really wanted to like the historic movie, the one that used old school techniques, the one that had people in suits, the one that was when CGI wasn't so prevalent. But damn it, I just loved Rampage a lot. So for me, the best talking ape movie, Rampage this week. Uh, when I was watching Rampage, I was about halfway through. I was like, this is brilliant. Like, this is absolutely, this is loads of fun. And then by the time I got to the end, I was like, I'm just so sick of this. 
I wouldn't watch this again. So just based on, if I was going to watch another one again, it would be Congo. So for me, the best talking gorilla movie is Congo. So the man who picked the topic this This week has the deciding vote on which is going to be the Clash of the Titles victor and the most enjoyable talking ape movie. Chris Tilly, go for it. Well, I thought I was going to enjoy Congo more than I did. I remembered liking it more. So in film terms, I think Rampage is a better movie. But I'm going to go down to the to talk about the monkeys. Let's talk about the talking apes. I had, a, I had an issue with the talking ape in Congo. As I've mentioned, the relationship <laughs> with its owner was very strange. I, th- I didn't like what was going on there. I thought she looked weird. She didn't look realistic. I didn't like the little girl voice. And I didn't really buy into it or believe it. Whereas with George, I was actually deeply affected by his story. I believed in George. I liked George. Um, George is the best talking gorilla. Therefore, Rampage is the best talking gorilla movie. There we have it. I I can see by your face this is going to go on in the pub afterwards. (laughs) Rampage is the winner this week. Is Amir, is he considerably bigger? No, he's definitely bigger. Uh, Okay, so who's picking next week's movies? It's my turn. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, Chris, I would like you to have, uh, from 2005, Brick. Oh, Brick. Brian Johnson. I hope mine is as good as that. I haven't seen Brick in ages. I love that movie. It better be as good. Uh, You've got 1985's The Young Sherlock Holmes. No! (laughs) I'm actually happier with that. That's great. You're welcome. Oh, I cannot wait. Oh, what a combo. All right, V. Lovely stuff. So uh, if you want to talk to us about the results of Congo versus Rampage or indeed talk about next week's movies, Young Sherlock Holmes versus Brick, uh, then what are the details, Chris? Uh, it is show at ClashPod if you want to email us or drop us a line on Twitter. We are at ClashPod. That's lovely stuff. Thank you very much for listening. As always, if you could subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, that would be amazing. Cheers, guys. Back in a week. This was a Stakhanov production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.